uh, right now we'll bring in Arash Madani from Sportsnet. Uh, he's covers a lot of stuff. Normally, in, in normal circumstances, he's he's crossing the globe. This year, he was covering the World Series from from the home office. But uh, Arash, I wanted to ask you, and thanks a lot for doing this. Uh, you've covered a lot of World Series. You've covered a lot of different stuff. Uh, we obviously had the Blake Snell thing and the Justin Turner thing in Game Six. But how how will you remember this World Series overall? Because to me, it, it was at least on the field, a, a pretty memorable one with a lot of great plays and, and you know a great team that had been kind of building their way to, to this championship for a while, finally pulling through. Yeah, guys, I, I just think this whole, any of the championships, uh, from Tampa winning to the Lakers winning to then the Dodgers winning, I think I'm going to remember it just as the championship that nobody was there. I know some people were there in Texas, but I, I just think we'll remember these as the COVID uh, titles. And I think the storyline of Blake Snell, we may remember kind of a flicker of it and that, yeah, you know, and I have a totally different take on the whole Justin Turner situation um, and baseball completely throwing him under the bus to cover their own butt. But, um, but yeah, I just think these will just remember, be remembered as the COVID titles more than anything else. Yeah, no, that's that's my feeling too, Arash. And uh, I know we touched on Blake Snell. We'll, we'll get there. But you mentioned the Justin Turner situation. It sounds like you may be in the same camp as I am in the sense that I feel like Major League Baseball is a little culpable here as well, asking these players to come back and chase something that they have been after their entire lives and then expecting them to handle it differently and without any emotion. Just give me your thoughts and your perspective. Well, Major League Baseball, Alex, came out with a statement blaming Justin Turner for everything. And the more I read that statement, I thought we were going to blame him for the Kennedy assassination while, while they were at it. I mean, let's just go through the timeline here. Major League Baseball knew in the second inning there was an inconclusive test with Justin Turner. They knew in the right. seventh inning that Justin Turner had tested positive. So Justin Turner had tested positive, and he was in a dugout with the Dodgers the entire day. He was in the locker room with the Dodgers the entire day. So what does Major League Baseball do? They just remove Justin Turner and say, okay, problem solved. But wait a minute. He was in close proximity, not wearing a mask, with those guys in the dugout for the entire game. But the show went on, even though the Tampa Rays would have been in contact with Dodgers players even though the Tampa Rays were in contact with Justin Turner throughout the game. That was all okay. The issue was Justin Turner coming out afterwards, even though he had COVID all day and even though he had COVID all night, only because Major League Baseball determined that he had to leave in the seventh inning, did it then become unacceptable for Justin Turner to be around anyone? Why didn't the game stop then in the seventh inning? There were people in contact with Justin Turner. There were people in contact. There were players. There were managers. There were coaches. But especially players on the Dodgers who were then in turn in contact with the Rays. Why wasn't the game stopped? Oh, wait, because the business of the game took priority. And so that was okay. But Turner coming out to celebrate, even though he'd been around those guys for two and a half hours earlier in the day, that was the only irresponsible thing all day. Oh, okay, I got it. Couldn't have said it better myself, Arash. Um, you watched this series start to finish, and 
the Rays have made no sort of secrets about how they like to manage and the analytics they use. So give me what your reaction was when you saw Kevin Cash step out of the dugout with one out in the bottom of the sixth. Well, I wasn't surprised at all. Uh, Still didn't mean I didn't roll my eyes. I mean, Blake Snell has not gotten out of the sixth inning since July of 2019. Um, Look, this was the method that got Tampa to Game 6 of the World Series. That formula. And it's what lost them Game 6 of the World Series. By sticking with one way of doing things and not being amendable and not being flexible enough to use your eyes and gauge the situation and say, oh, my God, this guy's pitching the game of his life right now. Let's just let him rock and roll. Let's just let him continue what he's doing here because the Dodger bats have no answer to this. And the three guys coming up in the order right now, Betts, Seeger, and Turner, are 0 for 6, with six strikeouts against Snell tonight. But no, no, no. The predetermined game plan that we mapped out with the analytics department in our front office said, at this stage of things, we are going to remove Blake Snell because this is how we do things around here. And the issue, guys, I don't know about you, but I'm finding this whole analytics debate has gotten, or analytics conversation has gotten so ridiculous that it's turned into a referendum. You're either all in or all out on analytics. Instead of using the data as a tool as part of everything else, it's now the tool and nothing else. And there's so much more that goes into sport, into a game, into the flow of of what's happening out there on the field, on the ice, on the court, that it's either, it's either you're completely on board or you're completely not. And, and it shouldn't be that way. Yes, have the data. Yes, use the data as part of everything else. And to come into a game and not understand the flow of the game and what's happening in a game, you are ultimately going to get burned. And when did it happen? The, the Rays got burned in the biggest game of their life with their best pitcher, a Cy Young Award winner, absolutely dealing. And instead of using their eyes, they just use the book. Kind of parallels what the U.S. is going, heading towards on Tuesday with everything being a bit black and white. Um, yeah. Quickly, what, what I thought about Arash when that happened and sort of the ensuing reaction and sort of the, the focus on the decision, um, I thought back to the 2014 Seahawks with the, the call at the goal line with Pete Carroll. And I know right. you spent quite a bit of time with you know certain Seahawks members since then, but I've always gotten the sense that that sort of, I don't want to say imploded their locker room, but it was a real issue that they had trouble moving on from. No, but Alex, it imploded, it imploded their locker room. No, no, you can say that. That's fine. That'd be accurate. It okay. imploded their locker room. <laughs> I'm wondering, yeah. do you see any parallels? Will this be a challenge for the Rays going forward um, with the players and Kevin Cash? I don't, um, because the Rays, their payroll was $29 million this year. It's not like high-priced free agents are going to be like, well, we're not going to go there because this is how they run their operation. No high-priced free agent was going there anyway. And the majority of the Rays removed Snell, Morton, and Kiermaier. Who makes money there? I don't think anybody. Izzy, who's... I mean, of the $29 bucks, I think those three might make 24 
25 of it, 23 of it. And they've already um, let Morton go for 2021. <laughs> right, right, because he only won them the pennant. Yeah, he was, he was, been he's been great. He's been great for them and uh, a little too expensive. Right. Best big game pitcher the franchise has had since David Price. Um, I, I just, it's kind of one of those deals where, and, and Kiermaier was very outspoken after the game and understandably so. And you get the emotion of it and you get the anger of it because, you know, you're saying we're, we're never going to get this close again. Look, I understand, I understand that. But also, this formula got them this helped get them this far. The question becomes: Is will they will they use this as a learning tool to be like, okay, instead of being one hundred percent down this road, should we also take the air out of the balloon just a little bit? Should we look at some other things in addition to just the numbers? Uh, I thought Dave Roberts a few years ago, guys, when I was covering a postseason, somebody asked him about it, and he said, look, he said, analytics are great. He said, the data we now have is amazing. He said, I wish I had this as a player. It would have, you know, it would have helped me in my career. But he said, we cannot use this as the manual. We have to use this as a guideline. And someone asked, well, what do you mean by that? He said, look, it's still a game played by humans. He said, as the manager, as the field manager, I have to have a pulse of my clubhouse. I have to go through the locker room and talk to guys. If, if Alex's kid was up all night sick and crying and he didn't get much sleep, you can have all the binders and all the books in the world that you want, but he's got to go out there. If, his, if he's got a family member who's sick and in poor health and he's stressed out, how is that going to affect them? The algorithms and spreadsheets don't account for that. So, and then some days, it doesn't matter if you're on the golf course, if you're in the gym, if you're out for a run. Some days you feel lousy, and some days you feel okay, and some days, you know, you're hitting every drive down the middle of the fairway. You can lift more today than you ever have before. You're feeling great. Well, the same goes in sport. And yes, it's based on a 162-game model, so overall the math is going to work. But in the playoffs, it's a best-of-seven model. It's, it's what's going on tonight and tonight only because everything that you're doing tonight is to win that night's game, not about the whole season. So the, the way you approach the playoffs has to be different than the regular season. And the way you approach analytics has to, be, has to include an understanding of who and what your personnel is, and as humans, what they're going through. Sportsnet's Arash Madani on air with us, Sportsnet 650. Arash, the news out of Chicago after the World Series, in stark contrast of uh, Kevin Cash and, and his analytics-based uh, managing. Tony LaRussa back in the game, 76, uh, going to take over a team that... Uh, looked like the kind of one of these up and coming, really young, exciting teams in baseball in the White Sox. So, what, what did you make of Larusa coming back and, and becoming the manager of uh, the Chicago White Sox? I, I thought that was a very Jerry Reinsdorf move. Is he to be quite honest with you? I think that's an old school owner who's had just about enough of the entirely new school approach, and he said, "All right, let's let's dial this back a little bit and see if this can work." 
can we, you know, instill some some of the ways we used to do things and sprinkle in some of the new things and the old school mindset and uh, some tough love instead of the kid gloves and see if that's going to work. And I mean, if you like, there's the new school approach and then there's a dude who, you know, we thought Dusty Baker was old school. What's LaRusso like six years older than Dusty, seven years older than Dusty. Um, that, that to me has Jerry Reinsdorf written all over it. Sportsnet's Arash Madani joining us on air, Sportsnet 650. Uh, Arash switching um, to the CFL. Uh, we got the news on Monday that BC Lions owner, uh, David Braley, had passed away at the age of 79. Um, you spent a significant amount of time in the CFL with a couple of different franchises. Um, I'm just wondering if you can try to <laughs> explain David's legacy in the CFL because... He was a complicated character, uh, positive in some regards, um, and very unprogressive in others. And I'm just wondering if you have a story, an anecdote, or if you can just sort of try and encapsulate what what he was for the CFL. David Braley wanted the CFL to succeed. David Braley helped the CFL survive. I think those are those are absolutely absolute truth. The methods in which he went about it made you made you wonder, other than at times, rare times, opening up his checkbook, um, how he went about it. David Braley still believed in blackouts and blacking out games, like as recently as a year or two ago. Uh, David Braley is somebody who didn't believe in marketing the product. He just said, OK, if we win, people will come to the to the stadium. Um, David Braley didn't understand as recently as seven or eight years ago why every employee had to have an email address. Um, so, yeah, David Braley did some good things. There's no question. But here, you know, fundamentally, in, in Alex, you referenced the presidential election. I, I, as an owner of a pro sports franchise, you are the steward for the fans. You are the steward for the city. You are the steward for the public. Are the BC Lions today in a better spot with David Braley as owner? Were the Toronto Argonauts in a better spot with Braley as owner than when he took it over? I don't know how many people would say yes to that answer for either of those organizations. And I wasn't around for the Hamilton days. I don't know. Um, But, uh, you know, he was somebody who liked to flex his muscles and tell people how much money he had. Uh, but when push came to shove, I'm I'm not sure if the franchises have been in a better spot under his stewardship or not. When you look at the league, Arash, and specifically, uh, we'll stick to the Lions here. Obviously, the CFL has had a turbulent year. Uh, everyone's had a turbulent year, but they haven't been able to to get anything off the ground. Uh, there have been some issues in that regard for for a while now. Uh, if in an ideal world where everyone can can play football, and, and you're 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 a football guy, you're a Canadian football guy. Going forward, what's what's the best plan for the BC Lions kind of at just the most basic level for them to be more established in this community and maybe get some more wins on the field because they haven't been as successful as they were, you know, 20 years ago or even 10 years ago? 
Yeah, not even close to where they were in 2011 winning the championship, or even 2012, where I think that team was better than they were in 2011, the last time they won. Um, you know, that, that sounds like a very uh, ba- you know basic, rudimentary question. I don't know the answer to it, because it's so hard to know what the world and what the landscape is going to be and look like coming out of COVID. What what's the business model? How is this going to going to go? Ultimately, what you need is you need local ownership that has a stake in the matter that cares about making this franchise work in that community first and foremost. Look, the CFL can pretend to be a lot of things. They're now they're talking about global expansion and whatever. The CFL is about selling tickets two by two and having a connection with the people in the city and their fan base. And the Lions have completely disconnected from their fan base, while at the same time having a lousy football team. That I mean, it's, it's not a fatal blow, but man, it's damn close, and man, it's damn lethal, and that's why the stadium is empty. You know, when you don't care about marketing, when you don't care about investing in your in your franchise, in your property, to to be established with your stakeholders, this is what this is what ends up happening. Now you have a fresh slate. Now it's imperative that you get local ownership, deep pocket local ownership, invested local ownership in what you're doing, who want to be hands on, and who understand that. Izzy and Alex and Jane and Jill, each of them, each of them matter. And in a lot of ways, I think the CFL has gotten away from that. And especially the Lions have gotten away from that. And if there's one thing coming out of COVID that's going to be most important, it's connecting um, with people. And, uh, and that's, that's what's going to be really important for the next ownership group. We'll get you out of the out of here on this, Arash, because I got to say it might be painful for you, but I take great joy in your Sunday meltdowns in relation to Kirk Cousins, Vikings, yeah. Packers tomorrow. Give me uh, give me your uh, optimized Kirk Cousins stat line for tomorrow. Well, I mean, when you think about athletes and sports who are paid thirty million dollars or more, name me a crappier one than Kirk Cousins. I can't. No, it's it's terrible. You know, like I'd pay you. Chris I'd Davis pay you thirty Baltimore. million for him, Arash. Right, like Kurt, uh, Chris Davis in Baltimore is making what twenty? Is he? Is that what his contract is? I think. I think so, I yeah. would take Chris Davis, the first baseman in Baltimore, as quarterback of Minnesota over Kirk Cousins, and just eat the ten million dollars. <laughs> um, uh, this guy is a disgrace. This guy is a complete waste um and he has plunged that franchise into like you talk about a franchise that has just completely lost it on the field i mean he has almost single-handedly plunged that thing into the toilet like take a bow dude 53 guys on the roster and you alone have have sent it to the outhouse like that that doesn't come easy so good for you so you're you're optimistic for tomorrow Yes, yes, going into Lambeau and Aaron Rodgers should go well. <laughs> should go very well. 
I thought the best one was um, the winless Falcons when it, the Vikings trailed 23 nothing to the winless Falcons on the day Captain Kirk threw three picks. Amazing. Just amazing. Yeah. First pass of the game yeah. picked off. Just, just, and that was, that was a sign of things to come. You stuck the landing, Arash. Uh, thanks a lot for joining us, man. I really appreciate it. All right, boys.